Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine. Today on the show, we take a look around the world of sports with Stephen Brunt from the Fan 590 and Sportsnet in Toronto. We talk about his return to co-hosting primetime sports, the future of sports journalism in print, online, and paywalls. We also talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs, the CONCACAF and UEFA Champions Leagues, the recent Andre the Giant biography, the passing of Bruno San Martino, and a whole lot more. Thanks for listening. The pod is back after a medically related hiatus, but we hope to be more regular going forward. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. to the Winter Palace. We are in one of those crazy times of the sports year where there's almost too much going on to keep track of it all. To help us look at some of it, I'm very happy to be joined by one of Canada's most respected sports voices, Sportsnet Stephen Brunt. Uh, how's it going, Stephen? Hey, Mark. How are you? I am good. Um, yeah, like I said, it's it's a very busy time of year. We've had some some sort of big worldwide news that we'll get to eventually, but uh, the main reason that I wanted to talk to you originally was that you have returned, may or maybe or not like MacArthur, uh, to, <laughs> to primetime sports. Uh, that happened probably a month or so by now, but uh, you were the longtime co-host. Uh, you went away. Uh, well, this is not the first time you went away and came back, but uh, you recently, um, you left a year or so ago, and now you're back. So how did you end up back being... Bob's co-host. Well, I guess the, the the short answer is that they asked me um, if if I would do that, and uh, and I said that I would. You know, I, I do twenty weeks of radio a year. That's been my deal, and uh, you know, I had done that with with McCowan on primetime sports before, and then I'd shifted over for a variety of reasons to work with Jeff Blair for for a couple of years, a couple of very successful years in mid in the mid morning uh, slot. Um, but they, you know, Bob signed a new contract. There was going to be a change in co-host as part of that. Um, and they knew that Bob and I could work together cause we had, and, uh, you know, it's an important show. It's, it's the most important radio sports radio show in Canada by far. It's the, you know, kind of invented the genre in Canada and, you know, it's drive time. It's, which is in radio is where, you know, the, the financially is the most important part of the schedule. It is national. And, uh, yeah, so when they when they asked me to do it, I, I, I said that I would. And that, you know, I, I do it with some regret because I really liked working with Jeff. And that I think that show is, that, that was a really, really good show. And we're, you know, we, we, we're very simpatico in a lot of ways. But, uh, you know, this is Bob's, I think this is probably his last contract. I think he signed for another three years. And uh, look, I, I do, you know, I respect what the show stands for and its history. And, you know, I've been a part of that. Uh, and it's... You know, it's it's it, in its own way, it's fun being back on the back on that platform and working with Bob again. Have you had to readjust your schedule? I assume uh, I assume making the morning drive morning drive in is not something you you are you're probably happy to give up. I guess. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, the the, the tricky part was that you know both Jeff and I live out of town. We live in Hamilton, so we have, we we live some distance from Toronto. So we have, we both been we were both leaving before dawn, especially in the winter time, and. Uh, um, coming back, you know, sometimes, oh, sometimes I was home by noon. Um, so yeah, it's an adjustment that way. So that's a happy one. I get to sleep a bit more in the morning. Uh, it's going to cut into my afternoon fishing time this time of year, though, as we approach spring, I had to, it, I could bog off and go, uh, and go fly fishing in the afternoon when I was doing this gig, which, you know, in May and June and those long nights is lovely. So Bob's going to mess up my, my fishing schedule. So that's the sacrifice I make. And the interesting thing about prime time is that your your opposite number um, is not somebody uh, from the regular Canadian media. They went and uh, brought in uh, someone who's been a guest on, on the podcast before. Um, instead of just going local, you went international and brought in uh, Richard Deitch, uh, formerly of Sports Illustrated, who I think a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, I know a lot of sort of the nerdy PTS listeners. And, you know, Deitch has always been one of the show's favorite guests so for him to be a co-host i think is a great boon to the show 
Yeah, it's it's a really interesting move, you know, because you, as you say, Rich has been a longtime guest talking about sports media, which is what he covered for Sports Illustrated and what he's now covering for the Athletic, uh, for the pay site here. So he is, you know, he's incredibly well versed in that area, and he's a very smart guy. Um, but he's not a conventional sports reporter. He never was. I think he's, he covered women's basketball. Is really the only now called big time college women's basketball in the states, which is not nothing. But that's the only sport he's ever kind of he's covered regularly. So he comes at sports from a very different angle. And uh, but you know, primetime sports comes at sports from a very different angle a lot of the time. That's one of the things that you know has distinguished that show. It's not really a jock talk show in a lot of ways. Bob's always done a lot of sports business, sports media, uh, cultural stuff. You know, that's that's always been part of the of the mix. And uh, you know, Richard was motivated. He really wanted to to do the show. I think he wanted to leave Trump's America. I'm not speaking for him, but I think that's part of it. Uh, so I support him in that decision. And uh, I, yeah, I think he's going to bring. He's done a couple of weeks already. He will move in more full time around the first of June, which is when my spring uh, spring stint uh, wraps up. You know, the weird thing with the co-hosting job is that you know the people I see the least of are the other co-hosts because we almost never work together. Um, so I, I haven't worked with Richard yet, but I, you know, I, we, we had him on yesterday as a guest, you know, we were talking about, uh, the LeBron James, Ali LaForce interview, um, you know, th- th- that kind of stuff we were talking about. There was a Sportsnet or the Blue Jays streamed a game on Facebook as part of the major league baseball's new deal with Facebook here. That's which caused about a bunch of controversy. You know, he's, he's so smart and, and well-versed in things like that. He can talk on a lot of different levels. Uh, and I, you know, I, I've always loved him as a guest and I, you know, and I think he's going to be a very, very good co-host. Yeah. I think, I think it's a great move. I think he's one of the few people that as sort of your opposite number, I think, you know, is sort of, you know, simpatico. I think the only other person, you know, like if I had to pick from anybody that you said could be your, your opposite number, but isn't available, I think would be Arthur. Arthur, I think would be like, you know, a person, you know, is very similar to you and you guys have occasionally done shows together on other networks, you know, and he mm-hmm. works, he works over for at TSN on the radio side. But, you know, I think Deitch is like sort of like the, per- I don't want to say foil, but your opposite number. I think that's, it's a great choice. And I don't think the show loses very much when it's him instead of you. I think over the last couple years, you know, that there have been a lot of rotating co-hosts and, you know, I don't, don't want to speak ill of any of your of your your teammates at Sportsnet. But, you know, you can tell they're, you know, based on the co-host sometimes and maybe the subject matter that, you know, sometimes Bob is very energized on things and sometimes Bob really isn't. And I think it helps when he has a co-host there, not necessarily to challenge him, but I think you know, that can hold their own. And you certainly have, have proven that over the years. And I think, you know, and Bruce is somebody who, who, you know, used to do that when he would occasionally be on the show doing the yeah. roundtable things. And I think, I think Deitch is, obviously, I think, you know, I don't think Bob would have, you know, I don't know if Bob picked Deitch, but certainly Bob's input mattered. I don't think, you know, you would not go to the effort of bringing him in if Bob was, didn't think that he was worthy of the co-host seat. Yeah, no, obviously Bob signed off on that and signed off on me coming back as well. So, you know, he's, it's his call in the end to a, you know, to a large degree, right? It's his show. Um, you know, I think you're right about Bruce Arthur. I think he's a really smart guy. You know, he's, he works for the other, the other team these days, though, so he's not available to us. You know, one of, you know, one of the things that's changed, you know, and this go – it's not just, but not just in terms of PTS as a show, but in terms of sports radio here. You know, the, the reason guys like me got into this, we're all newspaper writers, and there were, there were lots of newspaper writers. And newspaper writers, you know, had two things going for them in terms of radio. One is that we got sent places to cover things, so we had experience and we saw things and we could tell stories and we were, you know, well versed in a. Especially if you're a columnist, you had to be versatile and talk about a bunch of different sports or be able to write about different sports. The other thing is we all needed money. So, you know, there was this endless supply of newspaper guys who you could drop in as co-hosts or on round tables or, and, uh, you know, and, and I say, with you got, you got the kind of the benefit of their experience. Um, you know, Bruce is still doing out of Toronto star, but 
that's they're an endangered species. News, newspaper columnists, newspaper, you know, if you, if you look at the newspapers in this city, you know, this is a, you know, it's a four newspaper town, but the sports sections in those four newspapers are shriveling on the vine and dying. You know, the Globe and Mail is is almost gone. You know, it's filled with wire copy. The Toronto Star announced at some point in the spring they weren't going to travel for sports anymore, although they are traveling for the Leafs and Raptors in the playoffs. Um, you know, the Sun and the Post sections have merged under Post Media. You know, just a handful of guys. You know, the the, the number of – I was at spring training this year with the Toronto Blue Jays, and there were – you know, in the old days, you would have had 10 or 12 newspaper people down there for spring training. I think we had – the most I saw was four. So – you know that's that's become a bit of an issue on the radio side. It's that, you know, where do you find people who have been places and done things? Because that's what makes for good radio. You know, who have experience where somebody else has you know paid the the paid the tab for them to travel the world and see you know and see sporting events and experience sporting events. Um, it's it's a big shift. So yeah, newspaper sports sections are dying, but there's a there's kind of a, a knock on effect to uh, to sports radio, and that's one of the things we're seeing here. And speaking of of that, uh, as we mentioned, uh, uh, Deitch now works for the Athletic, um, and sort of the the notion of pay site journalism and sponsored journalism is certainly growing. And I think everyone that's interested in sort of sports media, especially on the print side, is interested to see, you know, just how successful the Athletic's going to be. You know, I think. A lot of people have been surprised sort of how quickly they've expanded. And I don't know if that's just because of the initial success in the, the first couple markets they were in or they or the, the, you know, the venture capitalists behind it see that there's a void that they're trying to fill. But um, I'm, I will say I'm a subscriber. I've always been uh, someone who, you know, has been more than happy to pay for things like that. When I was in college, you know, I was a subscriber to the out of town edition of, of the national. And when mm-hmm. I was in, when I was in Indiana, and I think I've, I've told you this before, it's like, you know, I used to walk down from campus every day to go to the newsstand and get, you know, a day late copy. And of course I wasn't buying it for the up to date stuff. You know, I was buying it for the columns cause they had so many, great columnists and the, you know the good thing about the out-of-town edition was that you got a lot of them from around the country you weren't just reading the the people that were uh in the local versions yeah but uh, so where i guess how successful do you think the like do you see this as a long-term thing or is this just gonna is this gonna be a blip like the national where it's yeah 18, 18 Boy, months it's, it, it's funny exactly, that, yeah, yeah i like look i hope it's a long-term thing um you know, and if I wasn't, you know, if I wasn't working at Sportsnet now, and I'd been, I was, a, you know, still kind of stuck at the Globe and Mail, I'd probably be working at the Athletic by now, because that's where, you know, I understand people have been, you know, they've they've paid some people well, they paid really good people, they've assembled a really good group, um, and I'm a subscriber, right? Like just like you, I, I, I and I, you know, I think, the, you know, I think some of the content is great, some of it's, you know, just okay, um, but that's going to be the, you know, you, you would say the same about, a, you know, most sports sections even in the glory days it wasn't all award-winning stuff but they're they're you know they're very solid and I, and there's some people there who I, whose work I really like um, but I do not understand the business model I, I don't think people you know you pay for content and I pay for content but there are very few people who pay for content and people of my kids generation don't pay for anything you know they, they there's no chance they're going to pay for content so I I don't and I wonder about the guys, you know, the venture capitalists who are backing this thing are not in it for the journalistic. They're, they're, you know, they're, I, I think they're in it to build it, to sell it. And again, I'm just speaking for me, but that's what it looks like to me. Something that you build and then you cash in and, you know, you, you bring people on board and promise them equity and everybody's waiting for the day when you flip it and sell it to somebody. Um uh, you know, I, they've and, you know, and they've been pretty open about the fact that they're vultures in terms of the newspaper industry, and that's you know that's not their fault. That's the newspaper industry's fault. If the newspaper industry is losing people, that's the newspaper industry's fault. If these guys go and take advantage of that, that's not their fault. Um, and anybody who pays writers well is a hero of mine. But I I just don't see I, I don't see a, a, a you know pay for content uh, set up working. I just don't. 
you know, they've got my credit card number, but I'm not sure. I, you know, I think people like you and like me are probably the exception. You know, there's so much free content out there, and you know, it's the sports-specific sites or you know, good inter, you know, the, the the newspaper sites that still thrive. You know, the New York Times or the Guardian or, or sites like that. You can go out and you know, you, you can get you can you can you can contribute to the Guardian. You can subscribe to the New York Times. You can get everything that they do. Or you can jump on the Sportsnet website and read, you know, most of the old Globe and Mail sports section in terms of writers for free. Or you can go on ESPN and, you know, there's an enormous amount of content on there, mostly for free. You know, or the the the, the league sites, you know, NHL.com or MLB.com. There's some good people working there. So I don't know how, you know, it's great that they've got Ken Rosenthal at the at, at the um, Athletic or. You know, local guys like John Lott or, you know, Myrtle, who's running it, you know, who's a smart guy and does the analytics and hockey stuff really well. But, I, you know, I, I just don't know how you compete with free. I, I think it's really hard to compete with free. I agree. And, you know, it, I th- it's that way with, with podcasts now, too. There's a number of podcasts that I listen to that, you know, are pay or that are Patreon or that are just sort of their own thing that – in a way, I'm happy to pay for them, one, because I want them to keep doing it, and two, because some of them, you know, they're, it's either Patreon or ads, and, you know, there's only, mm-hmm. so many, there's only so many Blue Apron and Squarespace ads that you can listen to every day before you, yeah. you, know, before you eventually get tired of them. You know, there's, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's, there's like, a, there's an Irish podcast called Second Captains. Where are there guys that you know are newspaper guys that eventually you know had their own podcast and then last year they split off and became a pay site and it's only five dollars a month you know plus you know whatever the exchange rate is but you know they do a show a day and they're very newsy and it's full uh you know it's full of newspaper guys you know I mean they have they do great football stuff you know they have all of the you know usual football people that you know like Wilson and Honigstein and Sidlow and all those kind of people. But, you know, and, you know, I'm sure there's not, they don't have a great deal of subscribers in the United States. Probably they have enough, but, you know, I'm happy to search that out and and find it and I'm happy to pay for it. But, you know, if I stop, I still have, you know, 10 other football podcasts that I listen to every week that are free, but Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, I want to support the the quality ones and make sure they stay around. And I think that's true with the athletic too, but yeah. Yeah. Demographically, I don't know how many 20 something, you know, I'm, I'd be curious to see like what the numbers are on 20 something people that are like athletic subscriber versus, you know, those of us that are like, you know, 40 plus like us and versus, you know, that remember paying, for, you know, they're used to paying for it and want to make sure that, that, that it lasts. Well, then look, my yeah, you know, say my my sons are in their twenties, you know, um, and they are sports consumers. Um, they're also news consumers, you know, but they they're not going to pay. The only thing they'll they're going to pay for is is data, right? They'll pay for their phone, and they'll pay for data. But it's the same issue that the cable industry has in this country. We, you know, people they're they're never going to pay for cable. They're never going to pay for a landline telephone, and they're not going to pay for content on the internet. They've, you know, they, you know, maybe they'll pay for nine bucks a month for Spotify, maybe, but they have, you know, they have come of age in an era where content, you know, in their minds, content is free and, uh, and there is tons of content that's free. So the notion of, you know, handing over money directly for that content, you know, and again, you can, you can make the argument as my bosses are do here all the time when they, you know, Scott Moore, who runs Sportsnet does, I've been with him when he's done spoken to university classes and he talks to gets everybody to put their hands up who's pirating sports content and then says look at the guy next to you that's 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 the person who's going to be out of work because you're doing that um if you guys all want to be in this business because if you're pirating content you're you're stealing um but that i'm not sure that kind of a moral argument is going to work and I'm not sure there's a, you know, even the kind of consumer argument, like the greater, you know, the greater good argument supporting quality journalism, you know, I, I, maybe some people will buy that, especially at least when it's not sports, when it's real world stuff. But yeah, it's, it's, it is a tough case to make for anybody who is, I would say under 
35 maybe you know i think that would be maybe that defines that generation and that's a lot of people i always say if you can remember life before the internet then that's then that's probably somebody who's willing to pay if you can't remember life without the internet you know because you know i was i you know like a sophomore or junior in college i think when when i worked at the newspaper and suddenly it was like hey there's this thing where you can do this mm -hmm. and get and i was like you know, and then it was just like message boards and things like that. I mean, I always say I was in grad school when, like, the World Wide Web, quote unquote, became a thing. You know, it's like I remember having to learn how to program in Netscape to make web pages. You know, I'd learn yep. HTML code. And, you know, it's, you know, these, you know, kids today, quote unquote, you know, but anyway. Um, like we were saying, this is this is one of those uh, super busy times of the year when there's so much going on. Um, you are in Toronto where um, the Leafs are down to the Bruins in the first round of the playoffs. We didn't get a chance to do a NHL playoff preview this year. But uh, I was certainly one of the people that I think picked Toronto to at least win a round, maybe two, and they're staring elimination in the face um how did did you think they were going to to beat boston how far did you think they were going to get i thought they were in tough against boston and i think most people did you know it's it, the way the format works in the nhl they, they you know they have rejigged the playoff format several times over the last decade but the, you know the current format which is there to kind of stir rivalries means that you play you know you kind of play the team Rather than having kind of a straight one to eight, and you know one plays eight and two plays seven, that they the first round is is more is skewed towards the the uh, the divisions, I guess, not the conferences, right? So that they you know they're they're in with the Leafs happen to be in with two of the you know two of the best teams in hockey in in Boston and Tampa, and you knew that they were going to draw one of those two, and that that was going to be a that's going to be a heck of a tough first round match, you know, because both of those teams have, are better teams than the Leafs in terms of points. Um, and just bad, tough style matches. So I think everybody thought it's going to be really tough, and they thought it would be especially tough if it was Boston. Um, and that's kind of the way it's played out. Um, you know, would they now? It, the, you know, the, the thing is, if it had gone straight one through eight, if you kind of realign it, they would have drawn Pittsburgh in the first round, and I'm not sure that would have been a treat either. But but this this Boston team might win the Stanley Cup. That's a really really good hockey team, and I think what three. You know, well, four games now have proven it's just that the Leafs aren't as good as they are, um, straight up. Like they won the one game and kind of had to play out of their minds, and their goalie Freddie Anderson had to play out of his mind to win it. And they, you know, last night's game was close, uh, and there were a couple of kind of tipping point moments where it might have gone the other way. But it's hard to kind of look at the total of those four games and say the Leafs are better than Boston. So yeah, they've had a great season, 100 plus points. Young players have, you know, evolved. They're exciting to watch. They got a great coach. Freddie Anderson's had a great year, by and large, in that. But this is going to—I think—they're going to go out in the first round, and then there's going to be a summer of kind of looking at them and saying, okay, what do they still need? And you know what? You know, the, the, the spotlight right now is, is very much fixed on Austin Matthews, their best young player, who has had a very tough series against Boston, and looks kind of bewildered you know at his at this you know and it's a it's a tricky one he's a guy who probably you know has never faced any criticism personally he's been the best player on every team he's ever played on his entire life guy who grew up playing hockey in in arizona and uh you know then went and played in in in, in switzerland in the pro league for a year he's you know and then came to toronto as the first overall draft pick and essentially looked comfortable in the nhl from day one so he has had a meteoric rise and uh, you know kind of without any bumps and this is the first big bump in the road so everybody right now is talking about austin matthews being schooled by boston and you know i guess hoping that this is kind of a this is a, a an evolutionary step for him to become one of those guys who can carry a team in the playoffs because you know he doesn't look like that right now so you know again i'm not i have no doubts about austin matthews and he's still really young but that's that's what we're heading into with the off-season conversation. I don't think anybody sees the, this team coming back against Boston. And as I said, I, I, you know, if I had to bet on a team from the East playing in the Stanley Cup Finals, I would bet heavily on the Bruins right now. They're a really complete hockey team. Um, they they do a lot of things really really well. It you know be interesting to see them go up against uh, you know a Tampa or eventually go up against a Pittsburgh. But 
you know, the Leafs might be the second best team in the conference. It's possible, but they're they're getting beat by the best team right now. Yeah, my rule of thumb now, even though I don't like them, is I just I do not bet against. I always pick Pittsburgh until they lose. You know, yeah, I good. you know I I picked a Pittsburgh Nashville rematch for the final just because you know, especially sort of living in the Mid Atlantic area between you know being between Washington and Philly and being not far from Pittsburgh. You know, I've you know seen a lot of of those teams and. You know, it's you know while I like to you know I would have loved to have seen Washington eventually beat Pittsburgh at some point. You know, I sort of gave up gave up that idea a long time ago. Where it's just you know Pittsburgh, you know Sydney is the hammer and Ovechkin is the nail, and you know until it changes, I don't you know I wouldn't bet on that. Yeah, it's hard to bet against them. You know, and they're getting good goaltending right now. Murray's playing really well too, and you know, Sid is Sid and. They obviously have the experience of having, you know, won the last two. So yeah, yeah, I, 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 they look like they, you know, there were times this year, and just like there were times the year before, when you thought, no, nah, this is maybe the end of the road for this group, and maybe Sid isn't what he used to be. But yeah, they look. They will be a. They will be at 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 worst. They will be an extremely tough out for somebody along the way, and it's not inconceivable that they would go back to the finals. You know, it's not inconceivable that they would win. Um, but I just I gotta say I've just been so impressed watching Boston up close that yeah, it's I, I, I would take them over Pittsburgh right now. Yeah, Crosby is the I mean he's certainly nowhere like him personality wise, but the person that I compare him to sometimes is Ronaldo. It's just like when when you think they're down, that's when they suddenly decide to turn you know, they shine in the in the biggest moments and you know, just when you're ready to write them off you know, they come roaring back and, you know, make a hot tag, and suddenly there's them with the trophy again. You're like, how did that happen? Yeah, Gretzky had a bit of that in him, too. You know, especially at the late Gretzky, you know, that 93 run to the finals. Um, he, in that series, conference final series against the Leafs, he was terrible in the first two games, and he he was written off by a whole bunch of people. Um, just that that he was done, and it, was, it wasn't like Edmonton, and that he didn't have anything left in the tank, and he essentially came back and won that series single-handedly and almost got him the cup that year. So, yeah, Gretzky also had that ability to rise to the moment. But that was, you know, that's post-prime Gretzky, and maybe this is post-prime Sid. You know, I think with Ronaldo, we're still seeing pretty much prime Ronaldo. Like, I think he's right in the sweet spot still. Uh, the other Toronto team uh, that I wanted to ask you about is uh, the soccer team, which is in the, the CONCACAF final against uh, Chivas de Guadalajara, and they lost the first leg at home, and so they're going to have to go down and play them to see if they can get anything. Um, an American team or a North American team hasn't ever won uh, this CONCACAF Champions League the way it's structured now. Do you think, you know, given all the talent that they have, that they can somehow pull this off and win? Yeah, I think you know it's funny. I think everybody thought they were over the big hurdles, right? Because they beat Club America and they, they you know, and they beat uh, was it Tigres? They beat the other Mexican team. Like they, Chivas is 16th uh, in uh, of 18 in the tables in the Mexican League right now. You know, they're, so they're the, the the lesser of those teams, and they had the easier path to the final. And I, you know, I think once they got through the last leg and won the game, you know, or survived at Azteca, everybody kind of thought, well, they're they're over the hump now. They're going to win this thing. So I think that result at home in Toronto this week was a shock. Um, might have been a shock to them too, but um, you know, giving up the two away goals and and you know, falling behind early and you know now they're it's a different kind of challenge. You know, going to back to Mexico, they don't. It's not about surviving. They're going to have to push the game against a team that is really good defensively. Um, and it's you know this it's important this one. It's you know it's it. it these guys essentially lapped the field in MLS last year. They were the you know, they were the best. You know, most people would would agree they were the best team in the history of MLS. And uh, you know, they could go back and I win the league this year. They haven't been very good in the league so far this year, but I think that's because the focus has all been on has all been on this competition. But they, you know, they they just you know, and, and MLS has obviously been looked down upon by you know certainly the mexican folks who watch the mexican league you know and this has always been the this concacaf champions league has always been the you know the place where they could kind of prove you know if you ever thought these things were equal well watch what happens because no one's ever won it now montreal got to the finals and and then who was it colorado somebody else got to the finals I think so it was, yeah that, i think it was yeah i think it was salt lake 
Salt Lake, that's right, Real Salt Lake. So it has happened, right? They've gotten that far, but it's always been, you know, you've always been able to say, well, in the end, they can't beat a Mexican team in the finals of this competition. So, you know, it's a big deal. It's it's not just a big deal. it's, It's a big deal for MLS. And it's a great side to watch this, you know, this Toronto team. It's really, really good. But you know, yeah, they've they've they have unexpectedly. I think a lot of us thought that they would have stumbled in the last round or the round before that. Um, and so this is a yes, yeah, a bit of a challenge. And I say when they're a bit off, and they're a bit off form in general. They they this you now now they they played with a bunch of uh, subs mostly in Colorado their last league game. They have a league game coming up in Houston. We'll see what that looks like, but. It's um, yeah. It, it, it this is a really this will be a very interesting challenge for their best best players. You know, for Javinko and Altador and Bradley and Victor Vasquez. You know, there's some guys there. Obviously, have a lot of international experience and played in a lot of big games, big matches. Um, but they're yeah, they're kind of up against it. And, and it's not going to be the one thing is the con. It, 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 getting to the finals of this thing is not going to be a. This is not a satisfactory result at this point. You know, they they really. This is kind of win or else in a lot of ways. Now, you, of course, have a vested interest in the other Champions League, being a fan of the red, the red side of, of Liverpool. Um, certainly, I think, you know, people gave, certainly uh, did not rule them out when they were going to face City, I think, just because of the hot streak they've been on. And they managed to, to win that and go on. I think most, I think, they're the team probably that Bayern and Madrid did not want to play in the semifinals. Um, so I think certainly they have a good a chance as any to win, given how hot they are in this season that, that Mohamed Salah has been having. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and I got to say, I, I've absorbed my Liverpool thing from my middle kid. My son, who is crazy diehard, has gone, goes over whenever he can afford it and sits in the cop and, and is – you know, as, as red as anybody who wasn't born there. So God love him. So he's the guy I've, he, he has led me that in that direction. Uh, I certainly didn't grow up rooting for them, but, they, but it's been, no, it's been a great, it's been a fun thing to watch. And they are fun to watch. I, you know, they are, they can be maddening to watch, you know, if you're trying to watch them lock down a game, um, they're a little better at it this year, but that is, you know, under Klopp, that's been the, the Achilles heel, but my God, they're fun when they go forward. And, I, I always think, you know, I, I, Champions League is great, and I've had the opportunity to cover matches in Champions League, and I covered the the final, uh, what was it, three years ago, four years ago, the, the United-Barcelona uh, final at, at Wembley. I got the, one of the best things I've ever seen live, certainly the best team I've ever seen live, was that Barcelona team. Um, but, yeah, I think it's I think this thing is always better when you have a premiership, uh, you know, club in the final. I think it adds some juice to it. And I know, you know, the people who you know, might sneer at that and say, no, it's, that's not the best league. And, uh, you know, if you have two Spanish teams in there, that's representative of the real hierarchy of football in the world. But, you know, I would love to see these guys go up against Real or go up against Bayern. You know, I, I just, I, I just think there's some juice in that, that you're not going to get if it's, if it's Roma. Um, you know, maybe that's a bias from just watching tons of Premier League, but I, I think it's the most entertaining league in the world. And I think these guys are the most entertaining side in that league. And uh, like I'm not, you know, I'm not sure what that match would look like. I hope it's five four, you know, for somebody, um, and it could be. So yeah, so I, I mostly root for the entertainment value, and and these guys have provided plenty of entertainment value this year. And the other news uh, that we certainly hadn't planned on when setting this up that today that Arshin Wenger finally or I, I announced that he's going to be leaving at the end of the season. It's Sounding a little like he's jumping before he was pushed, based on some of the reporting that's been out there today. But uh, you know, who do you think? Who do you think would be a good fit? Who do you think they'll they'll, they'll end up with? Boy, Jesus! I haven't. You know what? I haven't spent five minutes thinking about it. I just I saw the news. I heard the news driving in today, so it's a I, it's coming late to me. Um, there was a sense of inevitability about this, though, wasn't there? You know, um, I. I, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure that he can succeed in that situation anymore. Um, like I'm not one of the. Like I, I, I think it's interesting to kind of you know the dumpling Wenger uh, crowd among the Arsenal supporters. You know just how vitriolic they've become. And I get it. You know it's frustrating, right? It's. Uh, but you know it's uh, sometimes you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You know, um, like there were the, the 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 good stuff is a little distant now, and the the glory is a little distant in memory, I guess. Um, 
but it'll be those will be very interesting shoes to fill. And I'm not sure, you know, it's 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 an interesting question with that ownership group. Yeah, I, I like I'm not sure. It's it's not it's not put it's not on a plate like like City was for Guardiola, right? It's not it's nothing like that. You know, this is gonna it's gonna require a little bit of magic to make that work. So I think I think it's a bit of a chill. There's a million guns for hire out there, right? And big name guns for hire, they're always around. But uh, you know, I, I again, do you think there's a recipe for success there right now? I'm not sure there is. I think well, something interesting that I heard someone say today is, you know, that in a way he's almost leaving the club where he started. They were sort of at the bottom of the top teams when, yep. you know, he came in like 20 some odd years ago and then he built them up, you know, and they've slowly been declining. And, you know, there's, it's sort of really interesting to look at his career and that he was building, uh, I think, you know, I think Jonathan Wilson was talking about this today that, you know, he was building this very sort of solid foundation. And then out of the blue, Abramovich came in and changed yep. the entire model where, you know, say the, yeah, the, the entire economics, you know, over his tenure at Arsenal, the entire, the economics of the sport have been turned on their head. And, uh, yeah, Ken Early was saying this on, on the second captain's podcast. that If you look at Arsenal, uh, Arsenal's history, that he was at Monaco and very successful. And then Marseille, played very dirty and became like the best team in the league and eventually got busted mm-hmm. for, you know, like uh, bribery and doping and things like that. And then, you know, he comes to England and, you know, he's had this initial success and then here comes Abramovich. And he said, you know, it's no surprise that Wenger constantly referred to it as financial doping, you know, because mm-hmm. he, he had to deal with real doping and, you know, th- and it's funny, you know, Arsenal has always, been, has always been a top club. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's funny when, like, Mourinho or United people complain about City's money. And it's like, you're the fan of the biggest team in the league and one of the biggest clubs in the world. And you've always had the hammer, and now you don't have the hammer and you don't like it. It's like the way when people complain, when Yankee fans, you know, complained over the you know, like, oh, look how much money Boston's spending or look how much money the Dodgers are spending. Mm. It's like... You know, you had decades and decades where you just went around and bought the best players and you had, you know, 20 minor league teams. And it's like, you know, you could you're you're the Yankees. You could afford to go to San Francisco and find Joe DiMaggio and plug him in. And then you could afford to go to Oklahoma and plug in Mickey Mantle, to, you know, when, when DiMaggio was leaving. And you've always had this advantage. And now that you don't, th- this is something that, you know. You, you think about when you're a fan of, you know, almost all of the teams that I root for are like underdogs or the second team. And, you know, like being an Everton fan, you know, it's like I know sort of what's like to be in Liverpool's shadow. And it's like I'm, you know, I'm a Padres fan and I was like a, a Lions fan. And so, like, I'm used to looking at the table from the bottom up. So it's funny when the other teams at the top complain about each other when it's like, you know, look in the mirror. And yeah. that's, oh, yeah. what, that's what, you know, it's funny, you know, like, especially when you hear the Arsenal fans, you know, when Arsenal fans call in to bridge phone-ins, and, you know, it's this and, you know, it's this and I can't believe, you know, fourth a fourth place trophy and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, one, try, you know, you know, Everton certainly is no minnow. They've certainly had their success over the years, even though they're sort of down right now. But, you know, it's like, be a fan of, you know, Portsmouth or, you know, Wigan yeah. or Burnley or team, you know, these teams, yeah. that, you know, that have almost gone out of business and you're complaining yeah. about being fourth and having to play in the play-in game for the Champions League. It's like, pardon me if yeah, I'm not. Yeah, you're going to, yeah, aside from the once in a lifetime Leicester City thing, yes, you know, you're, you're playing for seventh every year on a, you know, in the best year that you can imagine. So, but yeah, this this I this you know we are in this era of kind of you know where it's not super teams, but it's just kind of un, unimaginably rich ownership. You know, it's beyond wealthy ownership. It's on a, an, 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 a different tier, and you know it's that is always going to be a defining. You know, again with with you know Lester's Lester's the I, I say they're the exception that proves the rule, but they're you know I, I don't it, it, that's a lightning strike, right? That's never going to happen again. Um, 
and you're always going to be looking you're always going to be looking up at Abramovich and looking up at the this 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 the uh city ownership and you're going to be looking up at guys like that who are don't care how rich your owners are you're not turning up as rich as those guys and you know it's not like you know Cinderella Lester is owned by you know you know exactly, giant yeah. Thai yeah. billionaires so it's not like and, no they're not the little community they're not the little community club you're correct no and and realistically it's like you know is are petrol dollars really any different than you know guys owning the you know the the teams in the 19th century being like robber baron textile magnets or you know the teams in Italy being owned by the you know by the car manufacturer you know it's or you know uh you know in Germany being owned by Volkswagen or or Bayer or you know it's 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 you know that's a I would say I would say it's a, I say it's a matter of scale. You yeah, know, that's the, the the difference is one of scale. But you know, super rich guys owning teams is nothing new. It's just super rich the, guys have always owned teams. Yeah, yeah, the amount of money. Uh, the one thing that uh, I wanted to get to bef- before we go is, and I know uh, when I asked you about it the other day, you hadn't seen it yet, but you watched it recently. Is I know that you're a boxing guy, but mm-hmm. uh, that's not my thing. But you know, I know you've occasionally dabbled in its sister sport of wrestling, and we just had had the Andre the Giant documentary, and I know that's from maybe an era that you were more familiar with. But what what did you think of the documentary as a whole? I thought you know I thought it was really good. Um, you know, we've been it's been because it's been years in the making, right? And everybody's been people have been talking about it, it seems like forever. Uh, so to finally see it, I you know he's it. There's so much there, and yet it's funny. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday after I saw it. I um, he's still a bit of a he's still a bit of a puzzle afterwards, though. Um, he's still a bit of a mystery, which maybe is appropriate, right? Because you know he is like a character. You know, he's like a, a character from a fairy tale. Um, but I'm not. I'm still not sure what made him tick. You know, simple. You know, simple guy from a little village in France, and who ends up as this kind of freakish character and he has huge appetites especially for booze and falls into the world of wrestling and becomes but you know and then does the movies and i i was still i, I still am not quite sure that you get to the kind of heart and soul of, of andre rusimov in that piece but but that said i loved every minute of the doc um you know it's amazing and uh the, you know they got everyone um everyone who should be in there it almost humanized vince mcmahon which is amazing um but I got to, you know, and, and it, it was interesting to see guys who were, you know, breaking character, breaking, you know, breaking character. And, and you know, there's, there was a lot of emotion in that piece about the guy where, you know, like, again, I'm not, I you know, I, I watching Hulk Hogan do an interview or Pat Patterson or some of these guys, you know, normally I would take all of that stuff with a grain of salt because it's, you know, it's a game of, it's a, you know, it's a business of uh, facades, right? That's the whole thing. But they're there were a lot of tears shed in that doc and I think they were real. Um, so yeah, I, th- I thought it was a really interesting and, and very good piece of filmmaking. Yeah. I always say, you know, it's a business built on a lie. So everything you need to take everything, you know, certainly, you know, I've read, you know, like, you know, Melser who was in it sort of, you know, yep. reviewed it and said, this is not quite right. This is not quite right. But you know, you don't want to get lost in the details. And I mean, it was certainly worth watching just to see like, this footage of like young teenage Andre training. I've certainly never seen that kind of stuff before. Nope. And no, that was just, and, yeah, looking very athletic too. Well, that's, you know, that was always that thing about which, you know, sort of has been debunked, but the whole, you know, in the seventies, could he have played in the NBA? You know, he, he had a photo op tryout with the Redskins once in the, you know, in, in that early sports illustrated article that they, that they mentioned, but, you know, again, it's the kind of thing where, you know, you see, yeah, seeing him as an athlete as opposed to just being a freak show. Because, you know, by the time I started watching, you know, he was already large and getting by. and But, yeah, so seeing a lot of and, – and you go back and you watch – again, this sort of ties into what we were talking about before. Like, there's so much you can now see on YouTube. And it's like you go back and you watch some of the late 70s, early 80s stuff when he was in Japan – Mm. And, and it's amazing to see, you know, again, what he was free to do, maybe. You know, I think one of the things that comes across is sort of he really wasn't allowed to do a lot of the stuff he maybe wanted to do because it didn't fit the gimmick. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. that's and then, you know, and then in the end he was in the end he was very broken down. And yeah, yeah, it's you know, some of that like his late like once he was once he was a heel and he started you know having all these 30 second losses and you know like that's the kind of stuff you just don't want to you know you don't want to remember. But yeah, seeing some of the you know 70 stuff and it's just and it's just amazing and you know, like it's you know again it's he was an attraction and you know he could go anywhere and do anything and he was such a box office again because well yeah I, and i like the stuff about him bouncing from regional show to regional show and you know how he, he had a kind of a limited shelf you, know, you would run him through your region and then he would move on to the next one and you know, never was a champion, right? Always was just an attraction. You know, that's how you. Uh, it, but there's a lot of stuff about the. If you're interested in the business of wrestling, which I've always been, um, yeah, there's loads of stuff in there. And uh, yeah, he's a. You know, he's kind of a tragic figure in the end, I think. Um, but you know, I, I haven't read Meltzer's review. I'll have to go take a look at it. And I'm sure there's stuff he might quibble with. And as I said, I thought there were. There's maybe a layer there that you don't get to, and maybe that's just not possible. Um, but. You know, all overall, yeah, I, it's I, I was I was pretty transfixed. I'll probably go watch it again. It's also an interesting juxtaposition now with Bruno San Martino passing away this week because you know they're roughly contemporaries, and of course, and you know Bruno being one of like the biggest stars in the history of the business, and again, it's it's one of those things where you know sort of like much like you know football existed in in England before the Champions League started. It's like, you know, wrestling existed before Vince's national expansion in 1983. But, you know, it's like, I was trying to tell, I was explaining this to, to a guy at work who's, you know, like young in, in his 20s or whatever, that's that's Italian. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm like, ask your dad, because, you know, he's from Baltimore. I said, you know, you talk to sort of people of that generation from in the ethnic Northeast, and, you know, Simarcino really was like a superhero to them. You know, yep. and like all the sellouts that, you know, in Boston and New York and Pittsburgh and Philly and Baltimore and Washington and, you know, the riots that they almost happened based on, uh, you know, like if he would, even when he would drop a fall or lose by DQ, like the, the place went crazy. And, and you're in Toronto and, you know, I sent along that article that they wrote on Slam about how big... Bruno was in Toronto when when he was blackballed for a couple of years by Vince McMahon Sr. Yeah, early early '60s. So yeah, so the that skin came up and, and wrestled for Jack Tunney um, at, at Maple Leaf Gardens in his shows, right? Yeah. So and and was a big deal around. So that's kind of in the Whipper Billy Watson era, you know. Um, but you know, after that, because he went back into the WWF, which was again, you know, Northeast Regional, as you, as you said. Um, like I remember, what I mostly remember about him is seeing his face on wrestling magazines. Uh, and, you know, stories about him. But a lot of that stuff was, you know, that was all kind of revolved around that scene that, you know, the, the, the Vince McMahon's, the, the, the old old man McMahon's operation. And that's a lot of those guys didn't cross over. You know, they might cross over occasionally, like, again, like Andre, like a guy who bounced around. But a lot of that stuff was very kind of New York, Philly, Baltimore specific. And, you know, I, I mean, you'd see guys there and you say, man, I don't think that guy's, I don't know, he's not the guy I'm seeing up here on Saturday afternoons or, you know, in the ad for the Maple Leaf Garden show on Saturday night or Sunday night. Um, so, you know, there was, you know, he, if San Martino comes along 10 years later, then, you know, he probably fully exploits that era of the, you know, the national shows and, you know, heads into the, the Saturday night's main event and all of that stuff and probably makes a whole lot more money. Although of course, he, by, then he, by then he was crusading against Vince and crusading against steroids and all that stuff. Well, of course, it's funny because, but, you know, Bruno, you know, again, being champion and getting paid on the gate, as you know, like in boxing, it's, mm. you know, the, in the 60s, in the 50s and 60s, wrestlers made, you know, infinitely more than football players or, or even baseball players. It's, I think one of the obets I read about Bruno was, you know, he had a tryout for the Steelers and, you know, he found out how much they paid and he's like, no, thanks. You know, take I mean, the pay cut, yeah. yeah, I mean, the world champions, you know, in that era, you know, made, you know, like mid six figures. And you think about like, you know, people scoff at wrestling and don't realize just how huge it was then just, it was just under the radar. But, you know, for, a, for a guy like Bruno or Vern Gagne or, you know, uh, says, you know, they made, 
you know, two, three hundred thousand dollars in like the mid sixties. And you think, you know, they would, you know, they would be like multimillionaires, you know, be like, yep. And, and of course they had, of course they also had to put up with the insane travel. Well, I was going to say they're working a bunch of nights a week. It's horrible travel. You know, you're bouncing from town to town, but you know, it's a, it's a new fresh show every place you show up because not no one, no, no one knows what happened in the last show or where you were. So it's kind of beautiful. You could write the script every night. And, you know, and working in the Northeast, you know, they also didn't burn out cities. They only ran monthly, whereas you look at some of the southern territories, when those guys work the same city every week, and, you, you know, it's like you read about some of these stories, and it's like, you know, the guys who worked, like, for Crockett in the, in the southeast, you know, it was like they're going from Richmond to Charlotte, you know, Charlotte, Winston-Salem, you know, and it's like weekly and you think, and you know, the guys that worked in mid South, they drove like thousands of miles every week and then had to perform. And you're like, it's no wonder these guys all sort of died relatively young based on the way they were burning themselves out, let alone, yeah. let alone the, the drugs and the steroids. And I was going to say, know, there's some lifestyle issues there too. Yeah. Whatever, whatever else. And it's just, it's that era is just so fascinating. But yeah, you know, like with people with, you know, like with Andre and, and Bruno and people like that. So, uh, Stephen, I want to thank you very much uh, for taking the time today. Um, people can, like we said, hear you on Primetime Sports when you're on. Um, that's, uh, you do 5 to 7. 5 that's, to 7, yep. Uh, that's on Sportsnet 590 in Toronto, and they can read you on sportsnet.ca and the people listening in Canada can watch you on Sportsnet TV and those of us who aren't in Canada can find ways to to watch you on on Sportsnet or various other things. Um, do you have any any books in the work or are you mainly just doing all your media stuff? Well, I, I you know, I don't nothing active, but you know, there's there's lots of my books are out there so people can find them and uh you know, whether it's Facing Alley or, or Gretzky's Tears or, or, or Searching for Bobby Orr, those would be the three that are out there internationally. So they're, they're, they are around. And I'll, I'll probably write one more at some point, but I'm, uh, I'm kind of uh, – a couple of, couple of irons in a fire, but I'm going to – you know, the, the books are hard work, so I'm giving myself a bit of a break right now. Oh, that, that reminds me. I think this is something we've occasionally talked about. But uh, did you ever read that new Ali book that came out as an author I've of got an Ali it, book? It's, it's sitting on a pile of my desk, um, and I'm going to get to it. You know, I've read all of the Ali stuff. Um, you know, I, I've I've seen I've read expert excerpts from it, and uh, it, it does actually sound like he's got some, you know, at least a new take on it, some stuff. Uh, I'm always skeptical of new Ali stuff because so you know so much has been written, but. Uh, but yeah, I'll, uh, it's it's on my. It's probably gonna the way my life's going right now. It'll be part of my summer list. So that's uh, that's uh, that I, that's when I that's when I catch up. I don't say speaking of somebody that that dabbled in the wrestling world and was certainly influenced by Freddie Blassie and mm -hmm. all those other you know and the again mm -hmm. you know since we had the anniversary of the Inoki thing last year, like I met you know people were at were talking about that. Thank you again, Stephen. And yeah, good talking to you, Mark. Thanks. I really appreciate it. And we will talk to everybody next time.